Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Guardian. Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm Kenya Evelyn, stepping in for Jonathan Friedland. In his first trip outside of Washington, D.C. and his home state of Delaware, this week, President Joe Biden chose to head to none other than my hometown, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Analysts suggest the city is just one the new Democratic president must visit in engaging the millions of Black voters whose record turnout in the 2020 general election was key to winning Biden the White House and U.S. Senate. I mean it, especially those moments, and especially for those moments when this campaign was at its lowest ebb, the African-American community stood up again for me. You always have my back, and I'll have yours. For some, this week's televised town hall in Milwaukee was a needed first step to combat racial inequities in the economy and healthcare made worse by the coronavirus, given the disproportionate death toll in Black communities and disparate economic fallout. Many are looking to the Biden administration to set an early tone in dismantling institutional racism and confronting white supremacy, which folks all over the world witnessed culminate with former President Donald Trump acquitted in the Senate after being impeached in the House of Representatives for his role in the January 6th insurrection. With the trial now in its rear view, America continues its journey on the long road toward racial reckoning, now under a President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Can unifying the country ever truly be done without combating white nationalism once and for all? Lots to talk about, and there's no one better to discuss the new administration's obligation to Black voters than a state lawmaker representing a community essential to its win, one of the young progressives leading the party forward. I'm joined by Wisconsin State Representative David Bowen. And so, David, this week we did see President Joe Biden make one of his first trips to Milwaukee. And I wanted to get from you, what were some of your key takeaways from the town hall we saw with the president? We have seen less than 3% of blacks and less than 5% of Hispanics given the total number of vaccines that have been administered to this point. Is this a priority for the Biden administration and how will the disparities be addressed? And, and that's both locally and nationally. Well, first of all, it is a priority, number one. Number two. I think one of the biggest things was just the context in which 
we ended up in that situation. We are in the swingest of swing states. Uh, the Milwaukee area came out huge for Joe Biden. And uh, without Milwaukee coming through, without the state of Wisconsin being won, he wouldn't be president. And to have the first conversation about listening to Americans in this very trying time uh, during a pandemic, during just a wealth of things that are coming against us, a lot of obstructions. The president wants to be able to listen to the folks that are going through it the most. Um, and he came to the right place. Milwaukee is that place to be able to get a very good feel of what American people are going through. Right. And then so for our international audience, make sense of it for us. Why was why are places like Milwaukee, like a Detroit, like a Philadelphia or Atlanta, like we saw, be critical in winning the in winning back the White House for Democrats as well as the US Senate? Why were places like Milwaukee a microcosm for institutional problems that we saw come to a head with the with the US last year? Absolutely. It's because we are the de the best depiction of uh, generations of Americans coming against oppression, coming against uh, those those things that should be there to help them have this prosperous future. But as you see in a number of communities across our country, there have been these really big hurdles to be able to get access to that American dream, to be able to have communities that are prosperous and are fooled with uh, everything that they need to succeed. And right now, what we're seeing in Milwaukee, especially with folks in the neighborhoods that I'm from, they are being ripped of that opportunity. Uh, and the disparities that existed before this pandemic now have been put on steroids, now have been given even more support and backing to be able to tear down the health and well-being of our families and uh, to economically uh, be able to, to still in, invest into our families, invest into our communities. And we saw with the president that uh, attacking the coronavirus pandemic, addressing the economy and it, addressing those issues of institutional racism are key to his administration's initial priorities. But take us back for a second. Like you mentioned, you know firsthand from this being some of the stomping grounds that you and I have both uh, been raised in and this being your district, you know firsthand some of the experiences that your communities are dealing with. You were one of the first state lawmakers to be diagnosed with the coronavirus in the midst of what we saw to be an economic recession that impacted Milwaukee and then later on the social justice and racial justice uprising. What did that look like? What did that feel like for Black communities? And how did that make it essential for this administration, this new Biden administration, to address early on? I've committed to spend a billion dollars on public education to help people figure out how they can get in there. That's we're also trying to set up mass vaccination centers like places in daily looking at the stats and the ticker going up of folks dying in our community. Uh, the first 15 deaths Milwaukee County wide were all black folks, all older black men and women. And as you really dive into what puts us in a position where we are impacted and we end up dying first from a virus like this, having less access to healthcare, having less access to places in the economy where we can work from home safely, and not have the threat of, of having our families infected by this virus as well. And uh, all the other things that generations of black folks have faced that has left Wisconsin as the worst place in the country to raise a black family. Everything came to head as I then was fighting for my life 
uh, dealing with the, the, the misinformation and the manipulation by the last administration not to give this, this pandemic and this virus the full preparation and the resources needed to combat it from the very beginning. And that had a lot of damage in our community, especially when you think about the previous traumas Black folks have gone through tied to healthcare, and it created a recipe for disaster. And to think that we all get bottled into our homes for weeks on end and we're ready to explode when we all witness the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery uh, that sparked outrage and righteous indignation uh, across this country uh, for folks to get into the streets. And that passion and that activism, the most that we've seen since the civil rights movement, it is only continued and it is putting pressure on policymakers and decision makers in every position of power to be accountable to the changes that we need to see to keep black people alive. Last summer, we talked with you as a part of our Black Voting Power series, and we got to see you in the midst of protesters uh, for nightly protests that were, I think, at that point in the 80s and 90th night, um, or reaching the 80th or 90th night of consecutive protests against uh, racial injustice. Back then, you described it as a righteous righteous anger anger. that we were seeing among mostly young Black progressives who were ready to see the Democrats go bolder and more left. Um, And hearing this and hearing some of the early initiatives, both from President Joe Biden uh, with the town hall, and then some of his actions initially in his administration. Are you confident that they're tapping into what you described as that righteous anger Democrats must uh, tap into unless they want to lose these voters? Are you are you confident that they get it? You know, as I listen to some of the answers from last night. I worry about ongoing threats to our country from Americans who embrace white supremacy and conspiracies that align with it. What can your administration do to address this complex and wide-ranging problem? It's complex, it's wide-ranging, and it's real. You may re- I got it, it's very clear to me that the Biden administration wants to be able to make huge gains, to be able to support and uh, put black families in the best place that they've been to be able to thrive in this country. But it also highlights some of the places where they're, they are hesitant and they're trying to fill their way through to understand how to go about just doing that and uh, the expectation that we all won't agree on how to get there, especially when you're dealing with the opposition as angry and as threatened as the white supremacist base that Donald Trump has. You may re- I got involved in politics to begin with because of civil rights and opposition to white supremacists, the Ku Klux Klan and the most dangerous people in America continue to exist. How can you work with, uh, not be divided with people that won't even agree with your chance to be able to to live in this country? This is coming to head because the same debate that we had during the campaign is still there. But now it's proven that you won't lose the suburbs or you won't lose uh, certain white communities if you are bolder in your perspective of the solutions that actually will hold police departments and law enforcement agencies accountable to be able to serve communities and also answer to them and actually be accountable to them at the same time. 
And like you mentioned, we did see Donald Trump uh, incite violence of insurrectionists on January 6th. Um, what does that speak to you in terms of the pervasiveness of white supremacy uh, uh, in, within institutions in this country and how critical it is for this Biden administration to address them head on, take an aggressive, uh, bold stance against, you know, stamping out or, or warding out uh, white supremacy in our institutions? Yeah, I think it calls for courageousness. It calls for for, for them not to be scared to move forward in a way where they will unapologetically take the the notice that the FBI has been given for years that was not pursued by the Trump administration to root out white supremacists out of law enforcement agencies. It means that they'll have the courage to be able to provide, especially so many black men and women that have so much student loan debt uh, and to forgive that debt, period propping people up to be the most successful in this country and the ability to thrive. It's essential that they have that courageousness. And it also is a lesson to be learned from the Obama administration when, when they came in with the expectation that it was an obligation for the right to come to the middle. But we see that, that, that even today, it, it's not required for them to do that. They will still make decisions based on their own power based on their own ability to control things in the future, rather than thinking about what's best for this country, rather than thinking about the progressive future that we all know and deserve that this country has been hindered from having. And in terms of that accountability, like you mentioned, we did see 43 Republican senators essentially vote that the actions of the former president on January 6th weren't sufficient enough for impeachment. Knowing that and seeing that, seeing the images that we saw that day, how critical do you think or do you at all think is the criminal justice prosecution of a former president and those who enabled him? How essential is that? Are you confident that we'll see a Department of Justice led by an Attorney General Merrick Garland go after the, the former president? Or do you see that forgiveness or that moving on essential and the lack of criminal justice persecution essential to that moving on? I made a commitment. I will not ever tell my Justice Department, and it's not mine, it's the People's Justice Department, who they should and should not prosecute. Their prosecutorial decisions be left to the Justice Department, not me. I see it as essential. It's something that can't just be swept under the rug or moved to a place of, of uh, forgiveness without action. I think one of the, the biggest things that we need to see, especially the folks that enabled this behavior and enabled a base of fascists to, to continue to be able to impact this country in a way where they still are given a platform, they still are given the chance to provide their hateful, violent uh, agenda and rhetoric. So that has to be addressed uh, from every level. And, you know, clearly we're going through that battle right now. Uh, our own senator right here in Wisconsin decided to be one of those 43 senators. So we have, we in the swingest of swing states, one senator votes for impeachment and the other one votes uh, against it. Just astonishing that we are still in this place where we can argue, as I say, if the sky is blue. And um, I think at the end of the day, uh, if we continue to, play into that narrative, we will end up paying for it in the future. 
And now the Biden administration wanting to reassure Americans, particularly the, you know, like we mentioned, black voters who've been essential to his win. We saw this president, this new president, say that white supremacy and addressing and tackling white supremacy is core and essential to his administration. Yet at the same time, in that same town hall, we also saw a President Biden say he doesn't necessarily think that this is a, quote, divided country. Does that create a disconnect in, in how black voters in particular should perceive or, or equate the sincerity of addressing these institutional problems? The nation is not divided. You go out there and take a look and talk to people. You have fringes on both ends, but it's not nearly as divided as we make it out to be. And we have to bring it together. Yeah, it definitely highlights the stark differences, right? I'm glad that we have a president that's able to acknowledge that white supremacy is real and that it is hindering the futures of people of color and black folks, especially all across this nation. And it's important that he is able to move into a direction aggressively to address that. Uh, what I do fear is that we give preference and credence to a base of people that would rather claim that they want to see what's best for this country, but allow black lives to continue to be killed and protect a status quo that allows this country to be able to do that. There is a complete blatant disregard of real solutions because they are controversial, because they make white people uncomfortable, because they make lawmakers uh, in a position where they feel like they are not supporting their own law enforcement by demanding accountability for black communities. So if we are expecting to do this the nice way, if we're expecting to just have a, a conversation where we can pat each other on the back that we talked about it and we're going to try to be better, no, you need real laws, you need real policy. It's really important that we are able to, to get to that conclusion with the Biden administration, that we're able to not just uh, give in to playing nice and, and, and just being okay because uh, it's going to make a certain base of this country feel like they are losing their place in society, that they are losing their power uh, as white people. Equity is about ensuring that those who are oppressed, those who are at the bottom, they are treated with dignity. We can't give in to a base of people that believe that that's just too much to ask for. That was David Bowen, Wisconsin State Representative, joining us from Milwaukee. A big thank you for allowing me to take over your speakers, but your regular host, the wonderful Jonathan Friedland, will be back behind the microphone next week. Make sure to listen back to Wednesday's episode of Politics Weekly, where Heather Stewart brings us all the latest ahead of the UK government's roadmap out of the lockdown next week. Just search for that in the same feed you found us. Thank you to our producer, Daniel Stevens. And once again, I'm Kenya Evelyn. Please stay safe and thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. 
Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.